Hello and welcome to Living Wow Feminist. Living Wow Feminist is a weekly podcast talking with feminists about the ups and downs, ins and outs, and the emotional rollercoaster ride of living a feminist life. I'm your host, feminist writer, researcher, and author, Jen Thorpe. Today on the podcast, I have the absolute pleasure to be talking again to Tiffany Kagura Mugo. Tiff was the very first guest on Living Well Feminist, talking about her book, Quirky Quick Guide to Having Great Sex. We also talked about cancel culture and everything else in between. Since then, Tiff has delivered and given us a new collection with her co-compiler, Kim Windvogel, called Touch, Sex, Sexuality and Sensuality. It came out this year from Quella. As a piece in the collection by Zantan Kumane says, the architecture of pleasure is expansive, and this collection certainly illustrates that well. Tiff is still the co-founder and curator of Holla, a pan-Africanist hub that advocates for and tackles issues surrounding African sexuality. She does TED Talks and writing and just general amazingness all of the time. She can often be found with a glass of wine and, in my experience, can always be found with a light-hearted joke. But earlier this year, she has been doing some more serious things. She was part of the Queering Belonging mini-series hosted by the Programme of African Studies at Northwestern University. The link will be in our show notes. And the topics Tiff tackles, try that tongue twister after a glass of wine, are as serious as they are light. Sex and sexuality remain taboo points of conversation for many of us. In a piece in the Mail and Guardian in March this year, Tiff said, Writing about sex for me has been a journey of learning and unlearning, turning things around in my mind to try and figure out how to do it. As someone who is a nerd at heart, I thought being able to understand the mechanics of the thing would help me do the thing. I was also under the impression one could crash course learning about sex. However, the journey has been the equivalent of thinking you are digging in a sandpit and finding out you are actually in the middle of the Sahara Desert. When I began, I thought that simply because I knew a little more than the average person about getting down and nasty, I could enter this realm and document sex in all its glory. And for a while, as one of the few voices who had the gumption to write publicly about sex, the con worked. Eventually, though, I realized that this was a marathon and not a sprint. I was always one article, sex story, radio interview away from talking absolute nonsense if I did not keep digging and furthering my understanding. When it comes to sex, sexuality and desire, there is always something to learn, someone to learn from, and something that has been a core part of your thinking that you need to put down and lay to rest. So today I'll be talking with Tiff about touch, sexual pleasure and whatever else we feel like talking about. Welcome Tiff. Hello, 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 hello. <laughs> so let's start with touch. It begins with a conversation on WhatsApp between friends. Tell me about the origins and how you got together an anthology of sex writing during a time of global crisis. You know what? The pandemic was boring and hard. No, I kid. Um, it was just one of those things where I've wanted to work with Kim for like a long time. And before the pandemic, we'd met at a bar here in Linden. And we'd been like, oh, my gosh, we need to work together. We need to do a thing. You know the way you know the way us millennials are. Oh, my God, we need to either start a podcast or start a company or start the next Apple or Uber in our basement. Right. So it was like kind of one of those vibes. And then um, the pandemic hit and 
I was thinking about Quirky and Quirky dropped during that time. And I remember thinking that, oh my gosh, a baby between Quirky and They Called Me Queer would be kind of awesome. And so like I hollered at Kim and Kim had been like, oh my gosh, there's this book that I read and it just kind of spiraled. It was one of those really strange things that just spiraled well out of control. And then we were like, we know people who can write about this. And it was a very like concentrated effort. And yeah, it's just like the Genesis story. We, we, we try and switch it up sometimes. Like one of the Genesis stories we were going to throw out in the world was we were hooking up and then we were like, we should write a book about our sexiness. But we haven't had the goal to quite land that, that Genesis story yet. <laughs> this is a slightly different one from we had this polite conversation between friends <laughs> right sort of like in the middle of coitus <laughs> no, me and Kim have unfortunately never hooked up but probably uh, fortunately because you know sometimes mixing business and pleasure but so you you've managed to make a collection that does some of the like nice saucy writing like you say it's not all Mills and Boone in the end of your Mail and Guardian piece but there's also a lot of complex cool interrogation of what's going on with sex and sexuality in the world in Africa at home at the moment and there's 35 pieces of writing how did you make the choice about who to reach out to and what to include so with us because we've had like a few years under our belt maybe one or two between the two of us um in terms of like being in the sex positive realm we knew a lot of people who've done that sort of writing and even if it's not necessarily that sort of writing that sort of thinking and so we were very, very intentional with this. We didn't do a call. I know that's not very democratic or inclusive, but we made sure that um, we hollered at like as many different folks as possible, right? So what we did is we like compiled a list and we made sure we had all their emails and stuff like that. And then we sent almost like, well, not almost, it was actually an invitation email to about 70 sort of writers, thinkers, activists, artists, general folks about town. Um, and we were like, this is what we're doing. Um, this is what we're looking for. Is there any way you can contribute to this? And I think we got about like 60, 50, 60 responses, if I'm not mistaken, of people saying yes. But you also know, having been a compiler yourself, people saying yes and people writing are two different WhatsApp groups, right? <laughs> Like, people would be like, oh, my gosh, I'm so down. This is amazing. And then at the deadline, nothing, right? So we had this wild panic just before the deadline. I think it was eight days before the deadline. And we had about five pieces. And me and Kim were on the edge of our goddamn lives. We were like, oh, my gosh. We cannot give Quella eight pieces, including our own. And then something, so then we sent out that, like, as you know, Jen, you have to send out the, hey, y'all, the deadline is coming, no pressure, which means, which is code for all the fucking pressure. Can you make a plan? Um, so then at the, like, the final hour, I think we got, like, I think it was, like, 40, 50 pieces. I don't remember how many it was. And then we just, like, our intention was, like, number one, well-written pieces, number two, pieces that covered the spectrum so everything from like breakups to looking at you know bodily autonomy to looking at being you know assigned a gender at birth to just general bare nonsense to 
like yeah so we just tried to make sure we covered as much of the quote-unquote spectrum but like that's one of the problems where you know when you are trying to cover something as broad as sex sexuality and sensuality there's only so much you can do so it was a case of just sitting with the pieces um everyone picking their top like few pieces and then sending it to Quella and back and forth and having that conversation and around a third of the pieces in the collection include trigger warnings and not just for what one might expect in a, a sexuality collection, you know, not just trigger warnings for sexual violence, but for other issues like drug abuse and depression. Tell me about why that was important to you as the curators to include. Because the thing is, sex isn't just sex, right? That's the, that's the thing about sex, not the problem. Actually, the problem, the beauty, the awesomeness, the ups, the downs of sex is it's not just sex. Like it doesn't... In- it doesn't exist in a silo, despite what everyone in the world thinks that, you know, the private space is a private space. Like our sex is intertwined with the way we see our bodies, with the way we see food, with the way we see our parents, with the way we see the world, with the way we see our homes, the way we see our phones. It literally is intertwined with everything. The way we see our coffee. You remember when, um, what's his name? George Clooney was busy serving us face, serving us coffee like... And we were just like, you are selling us sexiness. You're not selling us being awake in the morning. You're selling, what's it, Nespresso? What else? I remember that sexiness. And I was like, maybe I should start drinking coffee because George Clooney is so good looking, right? So I think with including all these different facets, you, we wanted to show that sex is an entire experience. It is not just the act. It is the entirety of everything you're doing in any given time. And now onto your piece in the collection, which takes the form of a letter and is in fact called A Letter That Gives No Fucks. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little different from your usual writing, and I was so intrigued by it. Can you tell me about how you decided to write about this? And, and, you know, I mean, I can't ask you who it's addressed to. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That whole notion she is. That whole notion she is. Oh, I'm sorry. That was not very feminist of it of me but she knows who she is um so with that piece it was um oh gosh how do I even so the pandemic so I'm in a non-monogamous relationship I probably should start there and non-monogamy will show you your ass right it will show you your ass so during the pandemic I started having a thing with somebody and it was one of those like very open and you know I'm so excited to engage with this person only to realize that you know the person was not the best person in the world and so when it all ended and they kind of like cut me off right so like even though we were still seeing each other in workspaces they'd cut me off like sort of emotionally and socially and I was going through like the worst time and all I was doing was crying and I hadn't written anything in months and all of a sudden like Naima's like yo can I have you two's pieces and I didn't have any words anymore. And I was just like, this is literally the only thing that I can do to try and heal from this. And I remember sitting in one of my favorite restaurants in Cape Town and just like banging on the keyboard and churning out this piece and like literally howling into my computer screen whilst glass glass and glass of wine was just placed in front of me because they were like, whoop. I don't know how we can help this honey. Just give her wine and let her bang on her keyboard. And yeah, and it was, I think like the way you said, it's not my usual writing because usually I write in a very detached, um, here's 
five things you need to do and six things you need to do and a listicle of this and lol look at me being like oh but this was just me being like i am so sad right now i am so sad and i miss you so much and i was in that like sort of almost kind of denially part of like the breakup stage of loss and stuff so it's kind of denial and i'm like i wish you'd come back now i i wish she would try and like whatsapp me so i can block her all over again but like at that time it was just like i have so many feelings i'm in cape town i don't know what to do with myself i don't know how to exist and apparently i have to submit a piece there was a time when i wasn't actually even going to submit a piece for this anthology because i was like i'm not functioning and so i was just and then i think somebody suggested that you know what maybe just write your feelings about this and that's the piece that came out mm, i i lo- could feel all the feelings i loved it i felt like all i wanted the- to reach down the phone and give you a hug <laughs> all the feelings were oh. happening <laughs> But I love that about the pieces in the collection because there's many where people are talking about sexual experiences where they were very detached or very complicated by whatever else was going on. And then there's others where it's so intimate and so clearly an emotion-filled experience. Um, so I love the variety. Um, there's also pieces talking about abstinence and you know coming yeah. to terms with sexuality. Like it's so, it really is a cool and that sounds so boring but like a cool diverse collection that makes you think with every single piece and you know some of them are quite heavy to read but most of them are you finish it thinking like I'm really glad that I read that piece so congratulations to you and Kim I think it's really a fantastic collection yeah Um, so that 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 was kind of like the point to just have everyone write what they wanted to because Weirdly enough, and I know we should probably shouldn't admit this, but we were kind of prescriptive when we started it. And we were like, we want sexual experiences. But like everyone just sort of came with their own vibe. Like the way Nakane came with like a whole vibe about race as opposed to, hey, I've been with my partner in the UK for X amount of years and this is how we have sex. Like, And then like Effie writing about abstinence and things. Like we were, we as the compilers were also quite shocked. So I would love to take credit and be like yeah we just we had such a loosey-goosey space and we were awesome but like people literally took it and it just went to show how that you know the engagement with sex and the experience of sex and sensuality and sexuality is so vast even when like somebody sort of semi quote-unquote attempts to be prescriptive right so you'd think the lgbtq community it'd be like oh my gosh these are the things, you know, like rights and this and, you know, homophobia and this. But like it's so diverse and so nuanced. And then when you just add sexuality in general as like a general experience, it's a lot. So I'm very, very grateful to everyone for like writing from their own personal perspective. I think we both know you can be as prescriptive as you want as the curator of a book. Um, but you're going to get back what people have and then to put out. Right, right. They will tell you, you can go beep yourself. And you're like, <laughs> oh, hello. <laughs> and the last time we spoke was last September, I think, and you had just put Quirky Quick Guide out into the world. Can you tell me a bit about what the response to that has been and how you're feeling about the book now? So... Quirky Quick Guide, I have a very complicated relationship with. I love my baby. Um, but I think, um, so it, it had like a super positive response. People kept asking me, 
did anyone come at you? I think only one person asked me, where do you get off writing a book like this? And I was just like, that's a really weird question. So I'm just not going to engage it. But like a lot of the response has been a mixture between, oh my gosh, how did you research the book? And I'm like, the way you research any book. Like, I feel people think that sex is only just a physical thing and there's no cognitive aspect to it. Like no research, no talking, no engagement. Everything just kind of happens and happens. But the reason I'm saying it's a, like a very complicated relationship I have with my baby is um, because it also made me realize that there's a lot more that I need to know about sex. So after Quirky came out and I did the whole like speaking in different spaces and that was fun and that was great. And then all of a sudden I was just like, I had this weird, almost like a mid-career crisis where I was just like, did I have enough knowledge to write a book like this? Writing a book like this made me realize that I've only just scratched the surface. Am I a huge scam? Oh my gosh, what is going on? And so it's been like a very interesting journey holding that. And then also I think there's that whole thing of second child syndrome and having put out touch so so soon afterwards, right? Or having even started working on touch so soon afterwards it's sort of like did I neglect my firstborn oh there's so many feelings so many feelings but I'm just so grateful to like be in a space where I'm like oh my gosh there's two books out here and they exist and they complement each other and they speak to each other but yeah like it's been like generally a pretty positive response obviously putting out a book in the pandemic was you know excuse my French a shit show right like an absolute shit show because you can't do any of the fun things that other people get to do, like going to festivals or doing physical book launches or even getting on a flight because people weren't even flying when I dropped Quirky, you know? Like you couldn't even get on a local flight to Durban, let alone like, oh, I'm just going to do a young like meet and greet in Germany. So that was, it was sad that like the baby was born during that time, but it's okay and we figure it out and we keep it moving sympathize and empathize having two books out last year was a bit of a fail for me as well it really wasn't a great time to put a book out but um no what you're saying about um reflecting on your own learning i mean if if you had put a book out and you didn't have some self-doubt about the extent to which you were the authoritative voice then I think you're probably a megalomaniac I think most of us who write have some sense <laughs> of like I am yeah, the wisdom <laughs> yeah so I think I mean it's always good when we can give ourselves time to reflect and I'm really glad that the response has been positive because it is a cool book and I, I also don't think put too much pressure on yourself to try and be everyone and everything because you know if there's not gaps then no one else is going to write a book in response and you're not going to motivate other people <laughs> to, to be like she knew nothing i knew much more than her i'm going to write my forget book. that one <laughs> <laughs> so a, a big segue that isn't neat or um, you know professional journalistic key on your instagram <laughs> you're often posting videos of your amazing pole dancing skills do you hear me lawless <laughs> Oh, you are tell us when did you first learn the art and why would you recommend it to other feminists pole dancing oh my gosh number one okay I started in Cape Town years ago um because I was just feeling clunky in my body and I hate exercise in general like I'm one of those people I just want to sit 
I don't want to leave the house. I even have to leave the house later on tonight, and that's making me very uncomfortable. But then I did a one of those what were they called? Groupon. Um, yeah, I think it was a Groupon coupon thing. And I went to one class and I remember feeling sore for two days afterwards, but feeling sore in this beautiful way. So initially it wasn't like a very like super, you know, bodily autonomy, you know, love yourself, body positive feminist thing. I was just like, ugh, I feel clunky. My clothes feel tight, you know, freaking in like global body standards. I just need to be better. But like, um, I started getting into it in a sort of like landing myself in my body when I was about like 32, which was like last year. And, you know, you're supposed to like when you go through your 30s, you're supposed to go through that. Like, I don't care what the global beauty standards are. I just want to land in my body. So for me, pole dancing was a lot of that journey because I'm not like a small girl. Like I am not like I am thickums upon thickums and it is like just life and it's great. And so, like, pole dancing was just, like, a way for me to do something that was really fun, that really challenged me. And also, you you do genuinely feel sexy, but, like, not even in that whole, like, oh, my gosh. Well, actually, it is in a thirst-trapping sort of way because also that's what I was doing on the internet where all of a sudden I'm posting all these videos and I'm having to, like, you know, warn my family members. Like, when I was home just now, my fa- some of my family were like, oh, you're on Instagram, I want to follow you, and... and me and three of my cousins were like, are you sure? <laughs> are you completely sure you want to do that? Maybe have a sample first before. Um, so I think for me, I would recommend it because, number one, I love the taboo-ness of it, right? And I love the fact that I have to have the, the conversation where I'm like, no, it's not just about the stripper heels. Yes, the stripper heels are a part of it. What are they called? Um, Forget-me-nots? I don't even know what those heels are called. But like, there's also something about it where you can feel the power in your own body because 99% of like pole dancing is just using your, is lifting your own body weight. And you're like, oh, okay. So me and gravity, we can go toe to toe. So I would recommend it for that. Number one, the taboo-ness of it, because, you know, it's one of those things where people are like looking down on it. It's like, oh, you're setting a bad impression if you do it. No, pole dancing is a whole sport. And even if it wasn't, be sex positive and be sexy. Do the things you need to do. So the pole dancing in the Olympics in the next Summer Olympics is a new I, category. I, <laughs> I am so here for that. Like, I, guys, there's people who do pole dancing who, like, there's people who do, like, stuff like CrossFit and stuff who can't pole dance or who, like, jog and climb mountains who try pole dancing and start wheezing, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie. When I still climb up a mountain sometimes, like, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, my chest is in my, like, head. But, you know, like, it's 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 a sport. But even if it's not a sport, it's sexy AF. And do you have your own pole at home? Is that your house that I see the pole in? That is my house. That is... <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, like, a good number of those are in my house. And it's it's actually just fun. Like, it's actually really just fun and it's cool and, you know, it's, and it's also there's an element of it that's kind of addictive because once you get you'll try a trick for like two weeks and then once you finally get it you're like oh, i am a superstar i am the best i have accomplished all my life goals until the next pole trip so there's just something about it. it's just 
I, I know this is going to sound really weird, but it's a very wholesome sport. <laughs> it's just so wholesome. It's just, it just feeds your soul. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine you pitching like the Department of Education. I would really like to present you pole dancing. It's a wholesome yes. sport for everyone. Like, you know, know, for like <laughs> pre and post, like pre- matrix and the year before matrix, we should include it along with hockey <laughs> and netball. <laughs> Right, when we take over the, the government, that is what we can expect. <laughs> that would be one of the first things. I would personally like to be the Minister of Sports and I don't know what the rest oh, of it is. They but keep yeah. adding weird stuff to it. You'd be a minister know. of anything now. <laughs> um, <laughs> a year ago, you also launched another podcast because you were involved in one when we spoke last time, but you launched the Basically Life podcast where you've talked about everything from free bleeding to sex toys, monogamy to mental health. Tell me about this podcast. I see there hasn't been recent episodes, but are you carrying on? What's going on there? Um, so I am in the process of recording new episodes. So the beautiful thing about the wildness was it was just the two of us. So it was very self-contained. But as you know, the podcast struggle of having to record new episodes with people who aren't a core part of the podcast, it's just the grind. And then also I got uh, a producer because, you know, with the pandemic, going to the studio was a whole thing. And because now I had guests, I couldn't get people to the studio all the time because some of the guests would be like in Egypt during a pandemic. So they were not about to get to a like studio in like, sorry, in like Joburg or something. So it's just been a case of like the logistics of it. And yeah, I, I really underestimated how much like there were logistics to having guests yes so like the next season we wanted to come around december because you know that's when people straight chilling like a villain um but yeah like the recording of guests is just the most for the drip and like i don't know how ira glass yourself planet money the spread podcast all those like i just i don't know how folks are doing it but it's fun. It's really fun to like talk to people about their bare nonsense. And yes, I'm calling people's lives bare nonsense because wow, the pandemic, hey? <laughs> I don't think I've ever been in the same sentence as Ira Glass and I will take it. <laughs> right? <laughs> act two of our show, act two. <laughs> yeah, act two. Right. And other than, I mean, you are someone who is definitely a polymath. You're always up to different projects. What else are you working on at the moment? Um, so I'm trying to get back into psychology because I'm going to say it on, on record now that my family knows I may or may not have forgotten to apply for psychology honors last year because hashtag Panini hashtag heartbreak guys. I'd been dumped. So I forgot to apply for honors. So basically my next, uh, sort of step in life, my next journey in life is to become a psychologist uh yeah just want to help people with their mental health and things also you know it's i not to say that it's a quieter life but like yo guys this thing the 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 social justice game is is the most hey it's it's the most there's always something happening there's always somebody on twitter there's always something on instagram so i think i just want to sit in my sweet office for the next like 10 years 15 years helping people with their mental health and then we'll see what's happening from then but yeah in terms of holler like we're trying to write a movie script that's all queer women sex positive where people like you know 
have sex and talk about their lives and just do that. You know that quintessential French European film thing where nothing much happens? Because you know with African movies, the most needs to happen. You need to rise from the depths and do the most for the drip. This one, nothing much will happen except existing because sometimes, you know, we just need to exist. So yeah, those are the things that I'm sort of working on, quote unquote, right now. But also there's a lot of lying around and having existential crises, which in itself is a full-time job. Having an existential crisis is, an, is a full-time job, guys. Yeah, especially when you like level up and start the existential crisis about your existential crisis. Like, Bam. Stuff, and I'm worrying about the right stuff. Shouldn't I be worrying about something else? Like, am I worrying about the correct things yeah. that I should be worrying about? Or am I worrying about the wrong things? I can't even worry, right? Why is this inception? <laughs> so I think do what you need to do for your mental health also. Not yes, fam. Also, I love your it. email reply. Speaking of mental health, that email reply is yeah. life. I'm about to copy paste that. It's copy and paste it. Bam. It's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, my email reply for people who are not emailing me, it just says, I'm not going to reply to you because I only check emails like very rarely. Yes. <laughs> <Please be> patient. <laughs> yes. I was just mm. like, look at you. You're like Mondays to Wednesdays at 10 to 12. Yeah. Don't holler at me and expect a delay. <laughs> Biatch. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to one day get it down to like, I will be checking emails for one minute this week. <laughs> one minute a week. I don't even get that many emails. Like, I don't know why I feel I need to have it. But I just feel like I just t- people need to set boundaries for themselves. They <laughs> do. I have no boundaries. So I really respect your hustle. <laughs> right. Last few questions. And now you have to be original because I've already asked these to you before. Um, <laughs> last time I asked you about a book that has inspired your feminism and you mentioned African sexuality as a reader, which is still fantastic. And you also yes. did a bunch of stuff about learning from the world. Does that still stand or do you have any new editions of books that have inspired your feminism in the last year? I don't know if I mentioned this, but I know I mentioned, I like I read it like ages ago, but the year of yes, I know it's not like a feminist manifesto, but wow, what a wow. I loved that by Shonda Rhimes. I just, I just loved it with my whole heart. It was just, it, it, it's what self-help books should aspire to do because she just like talks her story and she's like, you know, one of those like where I'm going to tell you my story and take from it what it, you will. It is what it is, right? Like, and I love that so much because you see all of the ups and downs and ins and outs. And I think that's not often a story we get told, sort of like a more holistic story especially in terms of inspiration within like feminist spaces and stuff. But I bet you like a lot of autobiographies are like that, but I hate autobiographies, but something about Shonda's slap different. So that is my, my, my new book. Mm-hmm. Good. Definitely. Well done. Check first original edition. <laughs> I also asked you last time, do you have a quote that you live by and you said, stay in your lane, drink your water and do your squats. Any changes oh, yeah. to that answer? No, no, not a damn change. <laughs> Not a damn change. Especially in the pandemic, people have stopped staying in their lanes. (laughs) The pandemic has people swerving out their lanes. All of a sudden, everyone's... Okay, number one, all of a sudden, everyone's a podcast host. Do you know, during the pandemic, Amazon sold out of podcast mics. Amazon. Amazon could not keep up the demand. So, apparently, everybody's a podcast host right now. And everybody stays swerving. (laughs) No, in our defense, we started before the pandemic. <laughs> during, 
Don't worry about it. We are <laughs> always against the grain. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so I think do your squats, stay in your lane, do your pole dancing, drink your yeah. water. 100 percent, because i host your podcast host your podcast especially <laughs> if your mic is still working for those of you who've fallen off well done mm. you had a good run for those of you who keep on keeping on and now have like little mini famous podcasts love that for you mm. right <laughs> love that for you for those of you who migrated to vlogs i also love that for you i love it for all of you <laughs> I'm like so technologically behind because I also took like a social media sabbatical during <laughs> during yeah, the lockdown and I left Facebook to. and I took I took off Instagram. <laughs> so I'm like not even on TikTok. I'm so far behind. I, I joined TikTok. I am I I am the youths. Even my my cousin who's ten years <laughs> younger than me was like sends me TikTok sometimes and is like your people. I was like, oh, that's rude. <laughs> you are the youths. <laughs> I am. <laughs> And then finally, do you have any advice for other feminists? Last time you said to us, be kind. No, I I think that still very much stands. Be kind. Mm -hmm. And I think especially as the world gets a little more harsh and a little more heavy, um, sometimes we're not always kind. And also kind doesn't mean being like nice. I think that's something that we sometimes conflate. It to be kind doesn't always mean to be nice, but I think it's just holding people as gently as you can, right? Even if you're having to read them for absolute filth, hold them as gently as you can. And also be good feminists. And also stop tweeting so much. Oh God, there's so much on Twitter all the time. I sometimes look at what's trending and I'm like, these are things I don't want to know anything about. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's not your circus, not your monkeys. Mm. And that's fine. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Tiff, for the work you keep putting out there, for the work that you're doing on yourself. And good luck with the psychology honors re-registering. And I think <laughs> the world would do better with more people like you taking care of other people. So thank Aww. you. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> My guest who I scheduled. Go me. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning into this week's episode of Living While Feminist with me, Jen Thorpe. Please do tune in next week to hear more from feminists about their lives and experiences. Take care of yourselves.